Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors, to out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. Today we speak with one of whiskey's few female managers and distillers, Nicole Austin. But first, we'll take a quick look at Whiskey Chronicles. Stay with us. Over the past few months, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced many changes on the United States. First, we saw many craft distillers slow or completely turn over their regular spirit production in order to manufacture the much-needed, and for a time difficult to find, hand sanitizer. Additionally, we've seen many states, in an effort to help bars and restaurants stay afloat, temporarily allow the sale of cocktails to go. And more recently, we've even seen government offer temporary tax cuts and incentives to the hospitality industry and distilleries to further help them weather the lockdown. There have been other times in the history of the United States where the government has granted tax breaks to distillers. The Bottled and Bond Act of 1897, designed to establish a standard of quality and purity in all spirit production, is one such instance. Although the regulations apply to all American-made spirits, one of the reasons the legislation was written was to set a quality standard for whiskey. At the time, many whiskeys, even if they'd been colored with tobacco or iodine or still other substances, were labeled straight whiskey. So the federal government gave distillers a tax incentive for following the newly prescribed practice. In order to label one spirit as bottled in bond, it must be a product of one distillation season from one distillery and have been aged in a federally bonded warehouse under the United States government supervision for at least four years and bottled at 100 proof. Other requirements include the appearance of specific information on the label. Lastly, only spirits made in the U.S. may be recognized as bonded. While it's never been mandatory that distillers participate in the BIB Act, those who do are rewarded with the prestige of having bottled in bond grace their label. As it happens, today, Wednesday, June 10th, 2020, marks the release of a new BIB whiskey from George Dickel. And the person responsible for that new release, a Tennessee whiskey aged 11 years. And our guest today is Nicole Austin, general manager and distiller at Cascade Hollow Distilling Company. Nicole Austin, you are master distiller at uh, Cascade Hollow Distilling Company, makers of George Dickel Tennessee Whiskey and George Dickel Rye Whiskey. Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. Well, thank you so much um, for having me. I, I actually eschew the master distiller title a little bit. Do you? Um, I, okay. Yeah. Uh, I go with typically um, general manager and distiller. Um, okay. Yeah, a few reasons, um, but one of them being, you know, I have a real job, not just handshaking. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. All right. I, uh, so what you're saying is that the the role of master distiller has become more of a, uh, a management consultant. We call it boundary spanning role. <laughs> I think it can be, yeah. Okay. Um, right. Plus, you know, I just feel too young for that. 
Aha, aha. Okay, well, at the, at, at the risk of, uh, of angering, well, at least you're not calling yourself Mistress Distiller, right? Oh, that's not a bad idea, though. I that's like a whole it. other. But that's a whole other. But that might send another message entirely. <laughs> if everyone gets to pick their own titles these days, maybe I'll go with that. Okay. All right. All right. I actually met a woman at um, several years ago when I was doing a pilot there. And her business card, literally, her title was Queen of Badass. I'm not <laughs> that awesome. sure that would pass my compliance department, but I like it. I like it very much. All right. Mm. All right. I was like, what does that mean? She goes, it means there was too many things to like give myself a title. So we just went with that. That, that, might, <laughs> like, okay. that might be a Diage don't. It might be. I think, yeah. well, I think that's what general manager means, right? General manager means like you're doing, yeah. you have responsibility across all of the things. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's all of those things. Nicole, you're you're still, as you said, quite young, and yet you have a rich professional history. Let's go back to the beginning, shall we? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Syracuse, New York, uh, which okay. is right in the middle of the state, mm-hmm. and my family still lives there. All right. Do you get back much? Well, not just now so much, Yeah, not just now, not with COVID-19 <laughs> raging, yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. It's actually, that was one of the hardest things about living overseas was um, not being able to come back and see my family regularly. We're all uh, pretty close and I do get back a fair bit. Um, actually, one of the best accounts for George Dickel in the country is a bar that is less than 45 minutes from my mom's house uh, that wow. is just purchased their 15th single barrel small okay. world right indeed indeed hometown hero much yes local girl makes good <laughs> yay <laughs> my, my mom uh has gotten a, a story in the newspaper now twice okay very She's good very proud oh that's great everybody needs an agent so you you studied chemical engineering at manhattan college you, that's right were you a stem standout in high school i was yeah it was really the only thing i was kind of good at, which was um, really much to my dismay in high school. I desperately wanted to be uh, like an artist or a musician of some kind. And Mm -hmm. I spent all of my free periods, you know, in one of those studios. And uh, for all my trying, I just had no talent whatsoever. (laughs) But drop you in a lab and magic. Calculus all day. Wow. (laughs) All right. Yeah. I've I've never even taken a calculus class. (laughs) Oh, I loved it so much. And you know, I really, I actually really wanted to be a math major, but mm-hmm. um, the jobs are no fun, you know? Uh, <laughs> so I backed off that one pretty quick and I just went for, you know, chemical engineer because it was kind of sold to me as, you know, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, now you're making whiskey. Did you, did you, did you ever imagine such a future for yourself? Not in the slightest. I actually, I think if, more people were told that this kind of job was an option for chemical engineers. Maybe more of them would stick with it. Uh, yeah. No one said anything. I, it really didn't occur to me um, until much later that that was a job that I could do with this. And I actually feel incredibly fortunate that I stuck with the chemical engineering. Is I really didn't have a particular vision for what I wanted to do with it. Um, you know, most chemies go into oil and gas or pharmaceuticals and actually a lot of them go into food which is sort of interesting and also maybe Mm -hmm. a little bit creepy much of what the you know the quote-unquote natural stuff we consume if they knew the truth about it they they would think it frankenfood you know it's just it's just baking at scale 
you know, like mm-hmm. that's so chemical Indeed. engineering is meant to be there's chemistry, which you do in a lab, and there's chemical engineering, which is doing that same thing by the millions of gallons instead of the single gallon, you know, mm-hmm. which has its own complexity. Uh, so I was yeah. interested in that, but I wasn't, you know, making cereal wasn't my great passion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went the environmental route, but uh-huh. I, it, yeah, it took me a while. No, I didn't really, um, I didn't know okay. that this was a job <laughs> that you could do. For our listeners, let me explain that Chem E is <laughs> is Chem E as in short yes. for chemical engineer, uh, not a not Chemi as in <laughs> oh true. we don't want to eat lunch with the Chemis. <laughs> so um, Nicole, tell us about your journey. Like where did it start, and where did you see it leading to when you first started? I mean, did you have any idea like in your first whiskey job that you would go through? everything that you went through and end up where you are today. Well, my first whiskey job wasn't exactly a job um, because in jobs you typically get paid. (laughs) (laughs) Do you you get paid now? I do get paid now. Yes. Okay, good. Good, good, That's good. 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 Um, And and fairly, I believe. The way I kind of got into whiskey was, you know, as I said, like coming out of university, it wasn't something that occurred to me that it was a job that you could do. So the path I ended up taking was I started in environmental engineering and mainly because that sounded to me like the best way to have a bit of meaning and, you know, satisfaction in my job. You you, you stayed in New York City after graduating. I did. Um, I went to work for uh, a firm that at that time was called BBL and we mainly served like water and wastewater work in New York City which was really interesting. Um, I had this total vision of myself becoming like the next Aaron Brockovich, you know? Um, and You were going to clean up the Gowanus Canal. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was going to change the world and I even had like red curly hair. I was like, this is going to work great. And of course, you know, the reality of that job is, was not that, you know, as I'm standing in hip waders in the New York City sewer, like it's not quite as glamorous as I had imagined. Yeah, it sounds kind of dirty. It was. um, And there was not a single Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle anywhere. And I was so disappointed. (laughs) You nonetheless became acquainted with the denizens of New York's underworld. (laughs) My tours of New York City are great. Let me just say, I can show you all my favorite wastewater treatment plants. Um, (laughs) They're fabulous. So, you know, I was working in New York City, right? I was in the sewers and um, it was a cool job. It was interesting. I learned how to be a good engineer. You know, certainly you learn a fair amount of precision when, you know, the consequence of you messing up would be like sewage flooding people's basements. You take that quite seriously, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot, but it wasn't exactly my passion. Um, It it wasn't quite what I had imagined. And I I hit that point kind of early on that, I, I think a lot of people can relate to of, you know, not really wanting anyone's job above me. And, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and it quickly becomes like, you know, the cool part, the engineering part is the thing that you give up first and, you know, you move up in management and it just becomes about budgets and, um, mm-hmm. you know, it just wasn't exciting. So I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And um, I was at a bar in Brooklyn called Char Number 4, which has unfortunately since closed, RIP. Oh, that sounds like an amazing name for a whiskey bar. It was amazing. And it was one of those really early um, bourbon-focused bars. You know, at that time, all so many of the whiskey bars were really all about scotch. And bourbon was a bit mm-hmm. of an also-ran, you know? And mm-hmm. they, lo- they were totally focused on bourbon. And it was a big part of what they did. And but they had all whiskeys and the all the staff was really educated and really knowledgeable and I was kind of new and they were pouring me a particular whiskey 
And I actually think I was on a date at the time, but it just it goes to show what I remember from that evening and don't his <laughs> he poured me a particular whiskey and I ended up completely ignoring whoever I was with <laughs> and talking to the bartender all night about whiskey and he just described it to me in such an interesting way and he happened to say something about how a particular whiskey was distilled and I just had that moment of like holy uh-huh. shit, you know like I literally that's what I went to school for like distillation yeah. chemical engineering like that's literally what I went to school to learn how to do why didn't anybody tell me char number four was a <laughs> tinder toast if it you will. absolutely was <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll never forget that night. It was such an it was just such an instant moment for me. Like obviously this is what I meant to do. It is the closest thing that someone who can only be good at math and science can come to making art, you know? Right, um, right. So it just was really obvious to me. You know, that's what I wanted to do. So how did you track down your first whiskey job? <laughs> well, once again, job is overstating it somewhat. <laughs> um but the way I spent gosh, maybe a year, maybe two years, like showing up at every whiskey event that I could find and like bringing resumes and shaking hands. But at that time, you know, it's like 2009, uh, Craft Spirits was still really just barely getting going as an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Kentucky was still kind of, you had to have the right last name if you wanted to work there. <laughs> and, right. you know, Scotland was still kind of hiring all out of the same you know, two universities in Scotland, which obviously I had not attended. So it didn't seem like there was a lot of opportunity. I must have emailed, you know, dozens of people with like a perky little email. And, you know, they all pretty much got back to me and said, you know, we're we're not really even in a position to hire yet. And then in 2010, Kings County Distillery got the first license to distill in New York City since Prohibition. And Mm -hmm. that's where I was living at the time. So I kind of was frustrated at that point, and I basically was like, well, this is perfect. It's right in my backyard. Like, I am going to go there, and I'm going to get a job, you know? So I show up, and, like, they're not even making – they've made, like, one batch of whiskey at this point, you know? And I show up, and I'm just like, I will work here now, (laughs) you know? You are welcome. (laughs) They kind of – If you don't leave – uh, you must belong there. <laughs> this is pretty much the right. tack I was taking. Yeah. You're, you're like the distillery cat that's there. To <laughs> For our listeners, people should know that uh, Kings County is coterminous with Brooklyn. Yes. Okay. Um, so if you've ever, only those who've paid a cable bill uh, know that Brooklyn is, in fact, Kings County. Um, and that's where they got their name. So I show up there and, you know, I think we're quite excited at the idea of hiring a chemical engineer. But at the same time, kind of said, well, we don't have any money. And I was young and dumb. And I said, well, that's fine. You know, I've heard the term sweat equity. Like, let's make me a partner. Um, And so that's how I got into the industry was I started with Kings County Distillery in 2010. Wow. Very good. I was going to say, how long did you stay at Kings before you moved on to the next? So um, Kings County, I was there until 2016. But in that in that six years, I kind of did a number of things. So, you know, when we first started with Kings County, um, all Colin and, and David and I all kept our day jobs. So I was still working at an engineering firm at that time and, you know, kind of going to the distillery on nights and weekends. And then when we got ready... Um, and move. We, so we moved out of Bushwick space into the Navy Yard space and they got some investment and really we were ready to grow and be kind of full time. 
But that happened to be the week of Hurricane Sandy. Mm-hmm. And we got two feet of water in the distillery. And, Ugh. you know, all New Yorkers now know flood insurance is not really a thing. All the money that, you know, we were maybe going to use to, like, pay ourselves a salary, mm-hmm. um, you know, is all now basically going into, like, rebuying equipment and getting back on our feet. And, you know, I had just thrown out all my business suits and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. quit my job. And that was the moment, I thank goodness, um, that Dave Pickerel kind of swooped in and, and saved me. And he hired me for his distillery consulting firm. And for people who don't know Dave Pickerel, he was a real legend. That was Ophiu yeah, Consulting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, yep. for our listeners, uh, Dave Pickerel was for 14 years master distiller at Maker's Mark. And uh, he helped found uh, Whistle Pig Rye. Yeah, and really a a number of other craft. I mean, I must have worked on maybe two dozen distilleries with him. And Mm -hmm. that was, he he really taught me a lot. So I was at Kings County at that time, but I was also doing this consulting with Dave. And then Kings County kind of recovered and grew a bit. So I stepped back from consulting with Dave and did some on my own um, Mm -hmm. while spending more time at Kings County. And it was through that work that um, I did some work for William Grant and they offered me a position to move to Ireland and mm. be the commissioning engineer for the grain distillery they were building at Tullamore Dew. So mm-hmm. that was when I left Kings County. And thankfully, um, I had an absolutely amazing apprentice at the time named Brian, who was more than ready to step up. And I was really grateful to be able to turn the reins over to him. Right. Um, is, he, is he still there? Yeah, he's doing great. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, I, I want to ask you about Hurricane Sandy because I've heard you tell this story. Yeah. Um, yes, there is a. Let, let's just say when when the water <laughs> hit hit the grain, you did not go into you did not go into the corn chowder and barley stew business. No. Um, oh goodness. Al- although you, with all of that water mess. and all of the grain, you could have. Can you tell that story? Oh goodness, um, it was such a mess. Well, you know, one thing of being in the wastewater treatment business in New York City is you just you know exactly what's in that flood water to begin with there there was in fact a wastewater treatment plant less than a block from our distillery so oh no oh yeah um so the whole thing was just horrifying and um there i'm i imagine the particular story you're thinking of was my I guess what I would call rock bottom in the industry story that's as I remember it yes from your telling (laughs) yeah that was you know that moment when you're just really not sure about any of your life choices and you're really not sure if you're ever going to make it? We were I wouldn't know up. what you're talking about. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> we were trying to clean up. So after that, you know, we were trying to clean up the distillery. And um, I get there and one of my business partners had had the genius idea. We had all this grain in super sacks, which... Um, you know, are they're porous. They're designed to allow, like, keep moisture from collecting, you know, allow air to flow through the grain. But obviously the water, and I'm putting water in air quotes here, got into the <laughs> grain. And so we couldn't use it. And my business partner's like, oh, let's start a compost pile. So he just dumps like three tons of grain out back of the distillery, which is absolutely not how you start a compost pile. <laughs> <laughs> and like of it's, course it's how you start a rat buffet it's exactly how you start <laughs> yeah. that and of course you know i'm just so thinking gross. of all of these rats you know they're like flooded out of their homes and then they arrive at this like you know three ton pile of grain i can't imagine you know we the heaven oh, that they we, were in we must show up in all of the religious texts of like the underground new york city rat culture at this point 
And then, of course, you know, of course, they move into the distillery, you know, in order to digest their buffet. And it was so horrifying. And, you know, thankfully, we're still in the cleanup phase at that point. But um, got some cats who did what cats do. And I was, like, trying to shift something around with a pallet jack. And I slipped in a rat carcass. Oh! And fell in it. Ew. And that Ew. was also the same day um, that I kind of learned that there would be no paying position for me there at Kings mm. County. Um, <laughs> and that was that was the moment. That was my rock bottom. What have I done moment? OK. And that spurred you to greater things. I, I don't know if it spurred me to greater things, but it certainly uh, I got I think I was very fortunate after that to, mm-hmm. you know, for Dave to come along and to you know, be able to find a way between him and, you know, Kings County to kind of mm-hmm. make it work uh, sure. living in Brooklyn. Sure. Now, a- along the way, you served on the board of the American Craft Spirits Association, did you not? I did. I did have done a lot of industry organizing work. That's actually been one of my great um, passions. So even before, I think before ACSA, um, I had founded the New York State Distillers Guild along with uh, a number of other distillers. Yeah, including Ralph Lorenzo Mm -hmm. um, and Brian McKenzie at Finger Lakes and um, Mm -hmm. Christopher from Copper Sea. And I was the founding Mm -hmm. president of that organization. Okay. Um, So I was president of the New York State Distillers Guild, which was extremely satisfying. And and I'm I'm really, really proud of the work we did there. And then also, um, as you said, I was on the founding board of directors of the American Craft Spirits Association. And I, I chaired a number of committees for them, but the one that I worked on the longest was mm-hmm. co-chairing the legislative committee with Mark Schilling. That was and remains so critical to the growth of, of craft spirits in the U.S. because there are still so many jurisdictions at the state level and local level that you, you want to open a distillery. They look at you like you have three eyes because they don't know <laughs> there's no regulatory precedent for it. It's true. It's incredibly complex. And, you know, as an industry, we're just very heavily regulated. And so, you know, as wonky as it is, updating those regulations, updating the legislation is really like one of the most impactful areas to do work in terms of supporting the industry and helping it grow. So it's quite detailed, but we have been able to make some really impactful change. And so have a lot of people around the country. And you can see it, you know, you can see by the numbers, the states that have, you know, 50, 100, 200 distilleries and states right next door that have, you know, less than 10. Yeah. Kudos to you for that work, because that's uh, yes, absolutely. that's the Lord's work, as it were. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, so, I so, agree. I'm very proud of it. So we come to Cascade Hollow, mm-hmm. makers of Dickel. You've been there about two years. How yes. did you get there? And what's been the greatest challenge you've faced uh, while there? And what's the biggest opportunity you've seized? Hmm. Uh, so, yes, I have two years. Yep. I'm quite conscious of the fact that, um, you know, what percentage my two years of stewardship is compared to the <laughs> 150 years of, you know, history of this brand. And this is actually our 150th anniversary year. Um, wow. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. The, the sesquicentennial of uh, George Dickel. Yes. Yeah, it was founded okay. in 1870. Um, so okay. no, I'm, I'm quite conscious of that. Actually, um, I, I, so I was recruited for this role and I was in Ireland at the time when they had called me. 
Um, and I working at, at Telemordu. Telemordu. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and just getting ready to actually commission the plant. And I really assumed um, that they were calling me, you know, for my connections in the industry. And so I start rattling off like all the many people that I think would be great for this role. And finally, you know, of course, the recruiter had to be like, no, no, please stop. (laughs) (laughs) I just completely missed the subtlety of like, apparently that's a common thing that recruiters do is like, you know, ask you who you would recommend (laughs) for the role. And I just totally missed it and recommended like 18 people. Thankfully, she took pity on me and, you know. Uh, steered me back to the conversation and I, I was really lucky um, I, I've loved this job the thing I've been the most excited about which I think maybe sort of answers both questions um, you know that you asked me both of like what's been the greatest challenge and and also kind of the biggest opportunity is mm-hmm. trying to balance being an entrepreneur which I think can be incredible and entrepreneurs produce some truly amazing things and I am so proud you know of craft spirits in general and the industry mm-hmm. you know all the creativity and passion and inspiration that they're bringing and you know they're changing the whole industry they're at the front of this conversation but i also you know small business there's there's things about it that i always found a bit challenging i have a deep commitment to yeah. you know safety um obviously coming from an engineering background i try to be quite conscious of you know, worker safety and, um, you know, safe manufacturing and, and just, you know, ethical business. And, you know, those are kind of more hallmarks of big business. And so I, I've thought a lot about how to bridge that, you know, and how to really try and get the best out of both, you know, to embrace Mm -hmm. what's amazing about entrepreneurship and, and small business and do it in a way that fits in, you know, this kind of very responsible and sustainable and safe and ethical way of doing business, which I feel quite Mm -hmm. passionate about. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's been kind of the journey I've been on for the last two years, you know, trying to figure out how to balance all of those things. Since you've been at Cascade Hollow for two years, how many different George Dickel expressions have you personally been behind releasing in the marketplace other than keeping up their regular expressions? So, so far... One and a half. I produced George okay. Dickel Bottled and Bond, which was released at last year. Mm-hmm. And that was um, the one that was kind of entirely my idea. And, and you know, I blended that whiskey um, and, you know, worked with a team to make it real. And it's so Bottled and Bond, one of the things that um, is quite interesting about it, that I think is not often talked about. You know, it's quite an antiquated piece of legislation. And you know how right, I feel right. about legislative rules love them (laughs) so it's got a whole bunch of rules which people i think are widely familiar with which is it has to be 100 proof has to be four years old has to be the product of one distillery can't be adulterated with anything other than pure water but there's also um it has to be the product of one distilling season which i think is quite interesting so it's only one six month period that you can use to make bottled and bond which means that you cannot as is very common, you know, blend different ages together in order to make mm-hmm. a balanced whiskey. So mm-hmm. I think it's quite challenging as a blender. And I love to blend. So that was um, something I was really interested in doing. So, you know, finding different lots of whiskey that I thought were really excellent, but they had to all be from the same six month period. Mm-hmm. And so that was um, how I created Bottle and Bond. And that was also how it ended up being a 13-year-old whiskey okay. in the first release. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was the particular distilling season, fall 2005, that I really fell in love with. Um, 
And I say one and a half because I actually have completed and we've bottled the second release. Should start hitting shelves in June. Yeah. Yes. Can't wait to taste it. I am so excited about this one. And let me tell you, I was real paranoid because, you know, of course, <laughs> as you know, the first one won Whiskey Advocates Whiskey of the Year. Right. So how do you follow that up? You know? Yeah. So tell us about like the barrel select that you guys use. So barrel select is an interesting one for me um, because... I think it confuses people, um, you know, like, w- what does that mean? And fair. But Barrel Select is one of our um, kind of higher end SKUs. And it it's 10 barrels at a time. So it's, I probably have heard people before talk about like the honey casks, you know, it's those mm-hmm. particular casks in a rick house that are um, really balanced and kind of special all on their own, which is quite rare, you know, that to meet that sort of sippable, balanced, and sophisticated barrel that doesn't really need any support. And so those are the ones that we pick for Barrel Select. And we typically pull 10 of them at a time to do a bottling run for that. Wow. You know, when people tell me that they don't like whiskey or they don't like George Dickel, that tends to be often the one that I point them to. Mm -hmm. You really couldn't not like it. It's lovely. Mm. (laughs) All right. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Finally. Finally. Yes. Cocktails. Mm-hmm. What do you drink? What is your what is Real your go to type highball. category? Highball, so built. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. That's I'd say that's a that's an uncommon answer in this forum. Yeah, that's um so I tend to actually most often at home, my drink of choice is um what we sort of affectionately call a low ball. Um mm-hmm. of you know, more of a one-to-one or two-to-one dilution instead of the standard three-to-one right, highball right. dilution. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit more whiskey forward and I tend to put in a dash of bitters or maybe a teaspoonful of sherry if I'm feeling Ooh. fancy. Mm. Yeah, that's how I typically drink it at home. Is, that's the real answer. Okay, all right. Is it is whiskey highballs your go-to? Yes, or are you... yes. Okay, all right. Well, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show today, Nicole. We've had a great, wonderful ah. time talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's, it's <laughs> and we very much look forward to your second release of The Bottle and Bond. Um, it's coming soon, and I am so excited. You'll have to tell me if I tried to make it too perfect. But I think it turned <laughs> we'll, out pretty great. We'll let, we'll let you know. Thank you. Nicole Austin, enemy of the good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. I'm happy to embrace that. <laughs> thanks again, Nicole. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Very Thank good you. luck Cheers. in the future, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. World of Wheezy is up next. Stay with us. Hey, Louise. Nice to have you over here this week. Today is a very special day because today George Dickel puts out their second bottle and bond made by their distiller and manager, Nicole Austin. And she sent us an early release bottle so that we could try it and talk about it for today's release. So I love it. I've already like finished way more of this bottle than I should have in this short amount of time that I've had it. I found some stuff that I really like with it, but you tell me what you think. Well, first of all, we need some Dolly Parton going on in the background here to go with this bottled in bond George Dickel because I'm feeling good. I loved it. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the burn. I loved everything about it. And you know what else I was thinking? I might want this with a pecan pie. 
but a chocolate pecan pie, a dark chocolate pecan pie. I think would a little sliver of that after a big meal with this whiskey would set you straight. Yeah, I was thinking it would have to be something more after dinnery because this is a hundred proof. And if you have it before dinner, forget about it. I mean, you can have it before dinner if you don't care if you make dinner or not. <laughs> I mean, and some days that's the case and that's fine. But no, I think after a good meal when your stomach is full and you just want to have a little sliver of something sweet and top the tank with this high proof whiskey. Yeah. Night, night kitty. So how would you, how would you prepare it? I've never had a chocolate pecan pie. Is that like in the, in the crust? You make a chocolate ganache and then that gets poured into a pie crust and you add the pecans to it. So. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a million and one different recipes for a chocolate pecan pie, but that's how I would do it. So it'd be a little Frenchy mixed with a little bit of Southern style and um, a standard pie crust. I'd probably use lard for that pie crust as savory. And also you you got a lot of fat from the pecans, so I don't think a butter crust is necessarily necessary. I'd go definitely more for a lard crust. And that's what my grandmother would have done, and she was from Tennessee, so... there you go. <laughs> and she's probably very familiar with the George Dickel brand then. Well, actually, I think she kept a bottle of Mogan David, if you are familiar with that, Mad Dog 2020. It was like fortified wine. Oh. I think she kept that on um, in a her nightstand or <laughs> under the bed or I think it was I think she had a nip of it in a jelly jar before she went to bed at night That's but I, those she she died when I was young so those are just those are distant memories well I think the pecan pie with chocolate I'll, I'll just have you make me one and send it over because listen you provide the whiskey I'll provide the food I got no problem with that deal total deal all right Louise well thank you so much for coming today and it was great to have you again in studio and we will see you again next week with our next guest Sounds good. Cheers. Please visit our website to see our show notes on today's podcast at spiritsofwhiskey.com. That's whiskey with an E. We'll include information about George Dickel and their BIB release, as well as some links to information regarding alcohol laws and COVID-19 in our show notes. As always, you can see our upcoming topics and guest roster and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Salanchava. Spirits of Whiskey is a production of First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available on Anchor, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts can be heard.